this is the time when stacks are made. Like this is every single cycle. This is what, you know, anyone, when you look at people and you're like, oh my God, that's a whale or how to, you know, they have way more Bitcoin. This is the moment where those people stacked diligently and responsibly. And that's what put them in that position to come. This is exactly the type of moment when it just seems absolutely hopeless. And at the same time, when nothing has changed for the bull case for Bitcoin, it still remains intact. And so this is the time to keep your head down, mine your fiat job, you know, use good Bitcoin companies and services that are aligned with your uh, interests. And again, just just stay alive. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Ladies, gentlemen, and hogs, thank you for joining us again on BCB. Things are getting pretty lean out there in the Bitcoin hog pen lately. Stay fed. In this episode, we are joined by Will Reeves. Will is the CEO of Fold. Fold is an incredible rewards debit card that allows you to get Bitcoin rewards for everyday purchases. I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with Fold, and you probably have one. Will envisions Bitcoin rewards as an impetus to draw people into the idea of transacting in and saving in Bitcoin. We had a fantastic time talking to Will. The conversation ranged from newborn babies to the Fold's origins, and of course, to the current crypto clown Armageddon that is dragging everything down with it. Fold encourages its customers to withdraw their Bitcoin and place it in cold storage, as every Bitcoin company should. With this current shit show of exchanges collapsing and people losing their precious Bitcoin, now is as good of a time as ever to take possession of a cold card Mark IV to protect those precious sats that you've earned. We've encouraged cold storage for years, and we believe it is now more important than ever to cold store your Bitcoin. The Mark IV is the most secure signing device, and we highly encourage its use. When you're storing this precious asset, you'll want to back up those seed keys onto metal. CoinKite has the perfect solution, the seed plate. The seed plate is a stainless steel plate that will survive everything short of an actual Armageddon. Protect your Bitcoin and get a cold card Mark IV with a 5% discount using code BCB. That's code BCB for 5% off. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Josh, I was I was telling Will before you got in the room that uh, I just got done with a two, two weeks worth of a fire service class. Uh, which means I was working uh, eight to four ish, and Ooh, that's a rough schedule, man. I can tell you, folks, uh, firemen are just not cut out for this nine to five thing. I mean, I no. felt like I just we're not built, built for it. I feel like I just built a pyramid. I mean, I am exhausted <laughs> uh, after going into work. I mean, by like day four or five in the week, I just could not believe that the average person works every single day. Um, so I, I, but I'm pumped to be here. Three, one, two, ready to roll. I'm going to pop it right now. Will, the, uh, we're, we're ecstatic to have you on this week. Thanks for, Dan, thanks for coming. It sounds like you bear quite a cross this week, man. This, these last two weeks, we all feel for you. All these poor people <laughs> that probably all work eight to five jobs and just want to strangle you for having heard that you can't <laughs> handle two weeks of it. Well, the thing is like, 
when we when when a when a career firefighter tells people what they do for a living, the presumption is that it sounds really difficult. Like, oh my God, you work 24 hours. What they haven't computed is we get like 265 days off a year. Um, so hopefully none of you are taxpayers in our jurisdiction. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Josh, I'm going to be happy to be Dan, back, I feel like back on shift. You're just painting a really, really nice picture of it. It can get real sideways, but it's it mostly can. great. It can. It's mostly great. Will, how are you? I'm doing well, man. As you said, one hell of a week. I have nothing on you, but I just sat through an eight-hour course a week ago for uh, learning how to take care of a baby in its first couple hours. And so that was the first time I had to actually be basically chained to a chair, focus on something that was going to be meaningful. And uh, I came out of that. I think I needed like a two-day recovery simply from that. So I, I feel for you there. Are you having yeah. a baby or what was the what was the impetus behind the training there? Yeah, that's, that's it. Uh, coming up maybe in, you know, God willing, about one month from now. So very cool. Wow. Life, as you on. said, you asked me, how's life going? What, how's this last week? I'm like, wow, where do I even begin? <laughs> <laughs> we thought maybe you were just preparing for any kind of emergency at the Fold headquarters. Yeah, you never exactly. know. Well, that's an everyday <laughs> we, we delivered a baby today at Fold, yeah. <laughs> Your first, Will? Yeah, this is number one. So uh, going from zero to one here. Um, it's a big is, step. Yeah, it's a big step. So I don't know where you guys are at on that journey, but. Uh, we're each at two. And okay. yeah, just prepare yourself to get a diaper genie so that your house doesn't smell like crap all the time. It's a, <laughs> it's a good first step. Those things are great. Uh, and try to change as few diapers as you can possibly get away with. Um, I'm owning advice. that skill. I'll come to you for some hints after. Yeah. yeah. Most parents are like, oh, you know, you have a couple kids. It teaches you to be unselfish. I think it just teaches you to be more selfish, but in a smarter, slyer way. Right, Josh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't wake up. I didn't hear it. I don't know what you're talking. The, the baby was up twice last night. I didn't hear it. That's the play. Well, why don't we start here? This is such a massive week in so many capacities. It's hard. It's kind of hard to put ourselves in someone's shoes that works in this industry full time. Why don't you just kind of un? We're here to listen. Uh, unpack whatever you want. Vent. Where's your headspace on this oh, Friday? Man. Yeah. How long Friday. should he go to jail? How long should he go to jail? <laughs> I cannot believe that he's not even in cuffs right now. It's it's uh it's it's pretty impressive how this whole thing is going down. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, this this industry has always been like this. It feels a little bit like Groundhog Day. Um, you know, the problems are the exact same that we face. The instability is there, but the it gets bigger and bigger. The the magnitude, mm -hmm. the scope gets orders of you know, it it just gets to a whole nother place. And the thing that is most that I sometimes pause about in like a week like this is how much bigger it got than it was before. And then before that, before that, and you always think, yeah. okay, we're on the precipice of, you know, mass adoption or, um, we're, we're we've gotten to the next level and you just get surprised, uh, cause you're working on this every single day and that the changes are kind of minute, you're shipping product, you know, the, the shit coiners around you are doing what they're doing. You're just heads down, just trying to build and, you know, these moments where it all comes tumbling down and says, oh shit, this is a whole new environment. So it feels familiar, uh, but it is at the stakes are much higher. So like you look at Fold right now and you know this is supposed to be a bad time for everybody. Fold numbers, we're hitting record spend. Um, last week on Tuesday, we paid out on 14 Bitcoin, a quarter million dollars in wow. Bitcoin yesterday or on Tuesday. Normally Holy we'll do crap. about four Bitcoin because people are like, hey, we'll keep it on Fold. 
just going to keep earning. It's hard to underestimate how much of a psychological effect this this has impact this has had on everyday people. And the best part is, I think ultimately, besides the fallout from this immediate thing, where pe real people are getting hurt bad, and people who had good intentions, you know, not this is not all just affecting you know degen traders who knew that were they were playing with fire. There's real people who are on the end of this, and um, for sure, and for most people, it's just like who's your buddy who's telling you you know, about this world. And sometimes that buddy's, you know, not bringing you down the right pathway. Sometimes it's what podcast. So you listening to the blue collar Bitcoin podcast, you listening to Pomp, and very easily people can get, go down a path. And when the going is good, when bull times are here, everything is happy. Everything is positive. And, you know, uh, it can, you can get over your head. And so for us, it's all, it looks to be amazing time growing faster than ever. People are learning about self custody, something that we've been trying to educate on forever. And, you know, this moment has done more for that than I'd say that the sum total of all our education efforts over the past, you know, three mm, years, yeah. which um, for sure kind of, it makes you puts into perspective of how mass adoption really might happen. Yeah. You, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, you, you've heard all these old OG Bitcoiners say, not your keys, not your coins. And people take that for granted in a certain way, you know, especially since it's been five to, well, actually, what has it been? Seven years or eight years since Mount Gox? Like, it's been a long time since we've seen some shit hit the fan like this. And there's been an entire, almost like two different generations of Bitcoiners. And, you know, we grow like, it's like dog years in Bitcoin. So yep. <laughs> this is two generations removed from Mount Gox. And people are now relearning this lesson. And it's a, it's a, it's a smaller amount of Bitcoin here. What was it, like 70,000 or so that have were affected by this, I guess, or the equivalent of that? compared to like four or 500,000 at Mt. Gox, but the dollar amount is right. massively higher. So yeah. depending on how you're going to compare it, this is probably much worse than Mt. Gox. And especially yeah. because it's all mainstream people that got affected by this for the most part. It's not just some weirdo libertarian sitting in their basement playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons and collecting Bitcoins or however from a fountain, but it is a very different situation. It's so much more mainstream these days. You know, you look at, you know, you just said the amount of Bitcoin is less, but, you know, also the, the, the scale, the scale that the whole kind of DeFi shitcoin industry has grew also took so much uh, time, resources and effort away that also was lost in that. And now that's something that we were calling from day one. This is all going to evaporate. Um, but all of that there is another world where that that value is flowing into Bitcoin. And, you know, we we chose a different path. But unfortunately, the money, uh, you know, we just went through one of the large, you know, this is not just a Bitcoin bear market problem right now. This is a total macro economic, mm. you know, yeah, thing yeah. happening. And so VC money coming in, absolutely pouring in records amount of venture capital being raised and immediately dumped into the market. That's going to give you the fastest time to liquidity and the easiest way to manipulate and dump on retail. And that was such a powerful incentive for so much money. It's hard to even to even uh, understand how much money was going into these projects that were from the day one vaporware and understood exactly right. what they were doing. And for being a Bitcoin company, you know, this, this has implications that even in the, even in the bull market, it's not easy to raise money. People are, when they look at you, they're like, well, okay. They'll look at your, 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 you know, your company and they'll look at, you know, another company who's playing around the DeFi or, you know, shitcoin space. You just look at the growth charts or the balance sheets or anything like that. It's not, you can't compete because we're not, we're not able to print our own money out of nowhere, but they'll look at this opportunity and just say, Hey, my money is going to go for where I can get the fastest turnaround on my money. 
And uh, it was always a really difficult thing to solve in terms of accessing capital. But the, it's hard to underestimate how amazing the incentives were for this industry that was built on, you know, essentially sand. And it was built. Yeah. So like, you know, we're, what we're seeing now is we just saw like six, seven months ago, we saw just the tips, the tip of the iceberg start to crash down. And now, you know, things with Genesis today, like at the very core of where all this was going on is now being, you know, called into question GBTC, which is the original thing that was creating the arbitrage opportunities for a lot of this yield that was coming right. out. And so, um, mm-hmm. again, we, we, we've seen this again, like there's, there's each generation has to learn from it. Uh, the problems get bigger. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think more than anything, like you start to just, you know, as a Bitcoin company, you have to protect yourself, right? You, you, you learn to build a company in a low time preference way. You, you understand that money is not going to be easy to get at all times. You understand the Bitcoin value of Bitcoin and your treasury being in Bitcoin is going to go up and it's going to go down in a cycle. You understand that outside yeah. money is going to come in. It's going to dry out. And um, so you really build your company from the ground up having to already harden into these cycles so that you can you can make it through the other side. And so this is why a lot of these companies now that you see are thriving is because, you know, you really have to make real decisions. Where do you put your treasury? Where are you putting your user funds? Where are you, where, what partners are you signing up? And every single one of those will either increase your risk um, or allow you to weather these storms. And what ultimately we're seeing now with this whole big, all these Bitcoin companies thriving in this moment is that truly they made the right decisions. They built companies that were able to weather these storms and thrive at the very time that the entire market is going down. Before we got into this, we talked a little bit about your origin story. Tell us the story, number one, about starting Fold. Get into the part where you actually put this thing on hibernation for a period of time in order to wait for an opportune moment for it to pounce back into the market without having to uh, regress into some shit coinery or something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. Give uh, us the whole story. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so, you know, my, my, I grew up in the Bay area and in, in uh, the Sonoma Valley moved down, uh, went to school in the Bay and, you know, I naturally, I just love building. I love building things in the open and that, you know, really was the ethos of that area for area for a very long time. And so I immediately got into it, found that, Hey, I, I, I this is where I want to spend my time is building things. Uh, introducing new technologies, things that can kind of you know unlock new powers for everyday people, and so I was really in startup land. I had a couple startups, and along that way, um, you know, working actually a fiat job, um, I ran into a, uh, a a friend who was you know, started a company that allowed you to essentially buy Bitcoin with gift cards, and I was already into Bitcoin. I had a couple inter- you know really uh, amazing. Uh, experiences in Bitcoin around 2014, where I met this guy or so, and he had a company that's called Card for Coin, and that allowed you essentially an exchange that allowed you to buy Bitcoin in, in this way with gift cards and peer to peer, you know, no KYC. It was pretty incredible what was going on. It was still very early, you know, and um, so we kind of developed a relationship and um, working fiat got there, and at the end of the day, like my soul wasn't you know, really in it. I had, like I was constantly searching for something that I was going to be building that I actually, actually cared about that I actually gave a fuck mm. about. And that's, yeah. I think part of a hard, that's a hard journey that everyone has to go through is, is finding that for sure. And most people will never find that. And, um, it came to a point where, you know, I had had some incredible interactions with, with some key Bitcoiners in the Bay area, um, had been building myself in payments. And, you know, I said to him, Hey man, I think, uh, I think we have the ability to come and build something. This is about the right time to go do it. 
you know, Bitcoin is just this new money. This, this is magic, back in magic internet money days where it was um, something was like, it was getting on the radar of mainstream in a big way. It's like, hey, this is the problem here. We have, you know, we have this new type of money, but no one can, ever, no one can use it. This is supposed to be peer-to-peer um, decentralized money, but no one uses it. No one can accept it. And so um, I ended up jumping on. We spun out the company and kind of changed it a little bit so that you could spend Bitcoin and essentially spend and buy a gift card to then go to Starbucks, you know, things like that. And we just did a small kind of test of this and it kind of took off at the beginning. You know, it, it was really used by um, OGs, whales, uh, people who are already on get on zero back in, you know, 2014, 2015. Uh, Imagine that. People who were miners who were actually just getting paid on Bitcoin already living in the circular economy. And so, uh, you know, we were, we had a, um, uh, it was at Boost VC uh, in the Bay Area. In that same office was like Casa was building in their early days. Uh, Bit Refill was there. Some early wallets, super scrappy, very early days. And you know our thing was like, hey, let's make it usable. And so we used kind of gift card arbitrage, allowed you to spend and spend your Bitcoin in the real world to kind of give you that moment. Hey, this is a real thing. People can exchange it for goods and you know create this you know new. Uh, experience on top of Bitcoin. And so we were doing that for a while and it was, you know, doing, doing great. Number one, Bitcoiners loved it. You know, we have some extremely OGs out there who, you know, who have gift cards that they bought on fold back then, who, that are now worth like $10,000, $20,000, $5 Starbucks cards, you know, just really wild stuff. <laughs> and um, crazy. they wear it like a badge of honor. It's like a, it's like an OG. It's like a, you know, yeah, it's like buying a and couple so, of pizzas for 20,000 Bitcoins or whatever that, it was. That, so, you know, that was it. And that was always, you know, a, a, a part of it. It's like back in those days, you just weren't thinking like that. You weren't, no one was really thinking about that. like a little bit. There was a segment of people, but ultimately like Bitcoin's use case was really, Use it. Let's figure it out. Let's use it. Let's let's understand what it was like. Digital gold, that was a niche idea even back then. And so, mm. um, the uh, you know where we got to is that we got hit by these cycles. We got the hit by our first you know Bitcoin bear markets, and we said, okay, times were good. Big prices up. People are spending their Bitcoin. Miners spending their Bitcoin. You know, everyone living on it. And then we hit these kind of uh, uh, bear cycles, and then all of a sudden usage just falls falls flat because it goes completely down business all every number is looking absolutely horrible we don't know how long these things are going to last um and so we you know really had to rethink what this model was and in that time uh was when you started to get this massive explosion of all these other shit coins like it was like you know you had a couple coming at first then all of a sudden literally every day some new was being launched and it was like Wait, what is this? Not everyone understood what side it was. There wasn't that under, like true unethical understanding. A lot of people were using it like just tinkering, like, oh, I can launch a coin. I can launch a coin. And what you got what, was, what year are we in right now, by the way? What year are we in? Uh, at this, this point? has got to be about 2016 or so. Okay. Uh 20 yeah, 2016 or so. And um we then are in this point where we have a bear market. There's no money coming into Bitcoin venture capital. No one's starting. No one's funding. You know, at that point, up until that point, the people who were funding startups in Bitcoin were Roger Ver, um, uh, Draper, and it was like a small group of like OG whales that were really doing it. If you look at the early Bitcoin cap tables, it's all these. It's really just it's just early Bitcoiners essentially, and, and like a couple uh, um, VCs like you know a Draper. Um, 
And then these the bear market came, cycles ran up, Bitcoin's dead everywhere. You know, you know this 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 whole song and dance we do. And uh, but there was something different this cycle. It's holy shit! Somehow there's all this new money flushed into this space to all these other alt altcoin projects that is everywhere. So you're getting Dash, mm -hmm. you're getting Bitcoin Cash. Everything is just absolutely you know flooding the market, and they have a ton of money. They're printing money. And so they're the only ones who have it. And so they could come over to most, a lot of these big early Bitcoin companies, throw a check across, uh, you know, the table uh, that would save your company um, and let you keep operating. But you're going to integrate, you know, coin X, whatever the hell it was at the time. Mm. And, you know, for Fold, we were in this thing of like, hey, where's our product market fit? Where's this whole thing going? What are, what are these new, it wasn't really clear exactly what the right option was. And so at that time, um, we decided to say, hey, we, we need to, um, we're going to just shut down because we are not going to take this money right now. We had, you know, Roger Ver was on Fold's cap table. Um, and he, I have emails from him, like screaming at us to, to add Bitcoin cash to this. Um, and <laughs> for the whole thing, it just is like, number one, this feels so different from why we're all here. Number two, the utility is completely unclear. It, it was, again, anytime you're integrating something, we take our user experience seriously. Every time something is introduced on the Fold platform, like we, I believe it, I stand behind it and my team does. And none of the, none of us were able to stand up and say, yeah, we think this is the right thing to do. And so even in that murky environment, we just you know, had to stick to first principles and say, hey, the best thing to do right now is reevaluate and we're going to shut Fold down and uh, we're going to rethink you know, our, our options. It makes me think of the fact that in some ways, ethical behavior can paint you into a sort of intellectual corner. Like if we were to take our small project here, we've been spouting off now for a year and a half about strong convictions we have from first principles about what really matters in this space. And in so doing, we've cultivated an audience that's critical, uh, that thinks for themselves, that's well-researched. So if the two of us were to start spouting off some bullshit next week and taking easy money, let's say, from a really shitty sponsor or clearly violating what we've stood for for a year and a half, we would probably face the consequences like a lot of our audience would exit. Yeah. I'm guessing the same is probably true for where you were at. You'd built such a cool product and such a useful product for so many hardcore plebs that if you had sold out like that, it very well might have been the undoing of your company, even if it didn't feel that way short term. Does that resonate at all? Man, it, it does in some ways and others. It's 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 a slightly more complicated because back then, you know, back then a lot of the OGs ended up being some of the you know, more famous shit coiners you've, you've known. Interesting. Um, yeah. A lot of the early people like cycled out, you know, got absolutely, you know, uh, wealthy on uh, with Bitcoin said, hey, I, I'm the you know, I'm the most I'm the smartest person in the room. I know exactly what to do next. Not understanding that it was actually more of a factor. They got lucky, right time, right place, and um, they 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 forgot where where that came from. And so mm. we had a lot of people, even on our cap table, who were saying, "No, we need to do this." We had even users who were then going and starting other projects. And this is at the time when you know it's it's amazing to look now, like adopting Bitcoin happening in El Salvador. This is the time when you had things like Dash blanketing you know random latin american cities with billboards of that you know that dash is taking over this latin american country becoming the you know taking people out of poverty and giving them freedom money 
And there was this whole smoke and mirrors about how successful it really is, or is it successful or not? Like, yeah, do you have people send down there and say, hey, most merchants that have dash stickers on the door said someone just went and put that sticker on the door. They don't even know what dash is. And it was this, it was all these mind tricks. And part of it was because it was all marketing campaigns. It was all marketing yeah. campaigns to, to get more retail interest or to get more venture capital interest. For coming. sure. And so it wasn't that clear. And so for us, it's like, well, okay, if we do if we do start accepting Dash, we're going to open up our addressable market massively and actually start giving utility to people. So it, 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 it wasn't entirely clear, but we did know something wrong was happening. Something, you know, in the space was, was um, moving so fast um, that there wasn't enough time for real critical understanding mm. of how to evaluate things. And so for us, like we, we, we were able to do our best because we're in the space. We were among a lot of people building is like, Hey, what, I think we had a better, you know, finger on the pulse than most would at the time. And that's part of the reason why it allowed us to say, you know, we're going to be, we're committed to Bitcoin for a very clear reason. These projects don't match up to why we're in this space at all. And so they didn't solve our problem. Yeah. One thing that you said that really resonates with me is the whole marketing aspect of these these shitcoin projects. Back in 2017, when the two of us were introduced to all of this, I remember for some reason, IOTA comes to mind. IOTA was this yeah. shitcoin that had all kinds of marketing BS. I'd go to their website and read the uh, explanations as to what it's going to do, how it's going to make things better. And it's all these PhD puff pieces about you know how this IOTA protocol is going to make things better. And just all of the fluff. I mean, it's so easy in retrospect to see it. At the time, I ate a lot of it up and was like, oh, this is... But then you look at these other hundred other bullshit ICOs at the time. The same thing happened with DeFi and these NFTs in this cycle. It's just... It's hard to believe that you know this, this has gone mainstream enough, I feel, that hoodwinking everybody again with these same kind of games seems like it's going to get exponentially harder. But I would hope. I mean, I would hope so, man. I, <laughs> That's the, I, I don't dude, know. I think I, I think it is. I, I I could eat these words. This could be funny to listen back on. But Lynn Alden agrees, so I'll put my name on it. She was on with Peter this week, and she we rubber said, stamp anything Lynn Alden says. By the way, <laughs> if there's anybody that can dupe the two of us, it's Lynn. By the For way, sure. Woman's got us by the balls. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Um, I'm sure. So yeah, she made this comment. She made this comment with Peter, which is. She thinks that this could have been like peak clownsmanship just because of how many high profile individual individuals and institutional money got hoodwinked here. And then also the onslaught of inev inevitable regulatory oversight that's coming. Mm, yeah. She said, I, it's hard to imagine that it gets this out of hand again. But man, who knows? Because when this, when this, host, we'll call Bitcoin the host and everything else the leech, right? That's really what it is. When the host just grows tremendously in size, there's so much blood to suck, at least in the short run, that it's it, when the hype comes, man, people lose their freaking minds. And if this thing performs anyway, the way I, I think it will, uh, people are going to lose their minds yeah. again. There may yeah. just be more fences and more checks and balances next time. I mean, I, th I think that's right. I think that's right. I think we, um, you know, you can kind of draw some corollaries with like uh, the history of like penny stocks, uh, for instance, you know, a lot of that mm. came down, a lot of shit was going on, right? Like there was wildcat banking, there was a lot going on. There's also just these launch of these, like, who the who knows what these companies are, that could be immediately listed on stock exchanges and was just being dumped on retail in a time of, you know, high, yeah. you know inflation and just absolute 
you know, madness that was going on. Very clown, clown world. Stuff. Yeah. Straight out of Wolf of Wall you Street. Know, we sell this to garbage men in the back of Hustler. You know, that's exactly what that's, just happened here. Yep. And so, <laughs> and you know, at the end of the day, like penny stocks are, there's a, there's a, there's a very clear distinction between what that world is now. And that, that, you know, that used to be kind of blended into everything. And it was, um, we might have hit that moment where like culturally it has sunk in at the same time you are going to get regulatory action where it is going to delineate a lot of, you know, very real regulation around these things where that could be enough to, you know, at least put that part of clown world behind us. But, you know, you know, another one's coming. Yeah. How do you, how do you see regulation playing out specifically for Bitcoin? You've got, you've got to be closer to the pulse of this than the two of us are at least. How do you think this could, how could the blowback from this affect Bitcoin in any, in any real way, in your opinion? You know, at, at the end of the day, like Bitcoin's resiliency is, is absolutely incredible. The going back to the concepts of peer to peer with self custody are two things that you can't really stop with Bitcoin at the end of the day. Regulations are going to come at the organizations being built on top, primarily like exchanges who hold custody yeah. for you. And, you know, for a very real, you know, in a very real way, those, you know, third party custodians, uh, you know, shitcoin casino exchanges, they did a very real, um, uh, had a really real impact in expanding Bitcoin's adoption and introducing Bitcoin to a lot of people. Like they definitely have played that role. Now, I think you are going to see some actions around it about understanding that, hey, FTX had zero Bitcoin, yet they were selling billions of dollars of Bitcoin. How does that work out? So you, you like that is just so ripe and obvious. We're Wait, can we, have can we stop for it? How, let's talk about that for a second, because that that's a point that came up that it kind of shocked me. So what do you think was good? Let's just speculate here. Do you think that they were using some other intermediary where when somebody's withdrawing Bitcoin that they're just saying, hey, we need you guys to send over this Bitcoin. Here's a, you know, like a quick, a quick credit swap in order to get actual Bitcoin to the wallet of the person that's taking it off that exchange. How in the world yeah, were they, they giving Bitcoin to people? If they had, well, they, they were either they were either market buying Bitcoin when when withdrawals were coming in, or enough Bitcoin yeah. was being deposited in the into the you know the ecosystem that it was just being routed or, right back out. Or did they just siphon all of it out during the bankruptcy and just there was nothing left at that because well, they took that, it? All. That, that, that's the I mean that that's the real thing is that at the end of the day, what are the shitcoin casinos? What are the you know the the house of cards companies do? They number one try to liquidate their Bitcoin and get that out of the company fast. If they're not doing that with their own token, they're not doing that with their USD, they make sure there's no Bitcoin left in this carcass that's going to be taken up. So I think that's absolutely (laughs) right. And that also just tells us where the value actually is held. And like at the end of the day, when the emperor has no clothes, you know, they're trying to run off with the Bitcoin, not none of the other thing else. Like that is why everyone's here. You know, the only the thing about shit coins is that really they're just a means for amassing more Bitcoin. They're either going to take yeah. away Bitcoin from you or help someone else get more Bitcoin. And at the end of the day, that's where that's where it all flows back to. Have either of you yeah. heard anything more about this hack? I'm just just on this topic. The hack that guy got away with like six hundred million dollars. Has there been any other stones overturned on that? No. I haven't. No. I've been in a fire service class all week, Josh. <laughs> just crazy shit, I man. There's been, so, I there's just so much shit going on with while this? sitting at the fire station. The velocity of shit. The velocity of shit is astounding this time. Yeah, it's the velocity into the fan that is just, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> causing that exponential curve of shit blasting everywhere. Well, and on this topic, I mean, this is what's so beautiful about Bitcoin. Like, it has no mercy, man. Um, 
it's majestic, but also frightening in that, you know, I, I forget who it was, Josh, we were texting about it, but maybe it was Caitlin Wong that was talking about illiquidity and insolvency. Yeah, being it was her. Two totally different concepts. And when you, there are no more than 19.2 million Bitcoin right now. And if you pretend to have more and yeah. people have a look at your balance sheet, it unravels not in weeks, not in months. It can unravel overnight. Yeah, don't cross and CZ, th- That's man. what's so ironic about this space is that it's the most radically transparent monetary system that's ever existed and probably ever will exist. But yet, most of the big players were, in in some senses, working on the exact opposite end of that spectrum with even more opacity yeah. than the current fiat monetary system. And I think my hope through this is that people really reconsider how this is done. And I think consumer expectation will completely change on the degree of transparency that's expected. At least I hope so. Yeah, let's hope. Well, while we're on this topic, let's let's now talk about Fold because we're we're throwing mud at, at all the bad actors. What makes you folks different for someone that just got their, you know, their their BlockFi card just got bounced back the other week? What what makes <laughs> Dude, what they makes didn't even the get their rewards. Card? Dude, their rewards are <laughs> fucking fugazi away now. If you had a what BlockFi makes card. the Fold card and Fold business model completely different than crypto clown world? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things when we started Fold and, you know, a Bitcoin company, I think most of them have this take this approach is number one, how are you aligning? You know, I could I could spend my time mining a fiat job uh, and buying Bitcoin and I'd probably do very, very well just doing that. Uh, So why would you ever start a Bitcoin company with the tremendous risk that's not only there associated with a startup, but building on top of Bitcoin, which is historic, you know, levels of volatility, and you're working on a project that is of historical significance, that is not going to be an easy path, right? This is not a, we all know where we're ending. We don't, the path to get there is going to be hard as we're seeing, you know, every single day. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. part of it was, you know, I wanted to create a, a, a company that aligned with my uh, values of number one, I love to build shit and I love to put new things into people's hands that is genuinely going to improve their life. And I fundamentally agree Bitcoin is the single most important project that I could be spending my time and working on. You know, my first experiences with Bitcoin were so, so vast that showed me how does this one tool are able to solve so many problems for so many different people? I want to ed- dedicate my intellectual and time to doing this. And so once you get to that stage of like, I can, I can combine both of these aspects. It's, well, what type of business do you build on, on Bitcoin? Well, number one, the best businesses that you're going to create is how do you create a business that's going to amass more Bitcoin? How does your business stack sats as well? Mm. And so, you know, we had this issue of like, Hey, what is the problem we're going to solve? Well, you know, we started with the problem of, Hey, let's help you spend your Bitcoin to make it real in the real world. But, you know, we, we saw it, we talked about what happened in the market cycles, it kind of, that kind of, uh, use case kind of dried up in many ways. Bitcoin's own, uh, our understanding of Bitcoin's place in our world also was evolving during that time. And, you know, we decided to resurrect Fold and say, hey, you know, we've got to flip it. The problem is that we, not enough people are exposed to Bitcoin or have Bitcoin. We need to put Bitcoin in the hands of as many people as possible in the shortest amount of time. And so what we did was say, okay, let's look at how we can do that. And so uh, we quickly, you know, we were already having people go to, um, you know, Starbucks, spending their Bitcoin in the line. 
And he said, hey, what if we just flip that? What if you instead you could spend and earn Bitcoin back? It's already a thing that almost 90% of Americans alone are using as some form of cash back. Um, it's a way of uh, passively stacking sats without having to necessarily to take you know, the risk of your hard-earned money as you're learning about this asset. Um, you don't need to get set up with a wallet necessarily to get started and understand what a seed phrase is. It seemed to be just the absolute perfect place to start at a perfect time when Bitcoin was coming out of this hibernation or this world of niche, Mt. Gox, libertarian, you know, internet culture to actually breaking through in 2017 to be an, a thing that's actually being listed on you know, MSNBC financial charts and or at least being talked about in a very big way where this conversation about Bitcoin was coming to the dinner table. Like what better product could we give put in the hands of Bitcoiners to give to their mom, brother, sister, friends than a way to passively earn this and see the power of Bitcoin. And so we developed that and it happened to have this benefit of we can create a company that allows our users to stack sats passively without buying them and we get to stack sats at the same time as them the more they stack the more we stack there's complete perfect alignment and incentives this whole time we don't mm. need to launch a shit coin we don't need to do anything all we need to do is believe that bitcoin's adoption wave will continue as it is and that bitcoiners will do what they do best and be the incredible evangelists for this new wave and we're just going to become one of the best tools for them to then impart to their friends and family to follow that adoption wave out. And so we kind of started at the very beginning. We knew we weren't solving the right problem. And it was in that click of just rethinking there that the business model became clear, the actual product became clear. And the first time we launched that thing, you know, I remember getting to 10,000 users and being like, holy shit, we're onto something right. And that was, you know, yeah. years ago at this point. Something you just said resonates very strongly with me, especially after we just spoke to Andy uh, Schoonover from CrowdHealth. And we talked a lot about incentive structures and how crowd health has aligned themselves with their customer, the people that, you know, that are using their sort of insurance in order to perpetuate the best outcome for them and their customer. And you said the same thing just now, the alignment of incentives, which is couldn't be more opposite of what FTX had going on. They were completely aligned against their customers. They robbed their customers. And so uh, really to me, it just kind of speaks to the incentive structure in Bitcoin is generally in alignment, especially with these companies are all in alignment with their customers and everyone's benefiting versus this shitcoin circus of incentives being inverted and people getting destroyed. Just really, it really kind of struck me when you said that. I mean, money, money overall are, you know, especially financial services and financial products historically has always been an extremely extractive parasitic relationship between people yes. and their money. And yes. Bitcoin is is so amazing that it actually, for the first time, opens up these new incentives, these new ways of building not only a business, but a relationship with money that are mutually beneficial, that are not extractive, that are actually additive together. And so it it changes the entire calculus of building a business. And this is why you can look around and it's not that hard to see who the bad actors are. Look at, follow the incentives and you're going to be really clear. What Who is encouraging you? to custody your Bitcoin with them as a third party and then and give them to hold the keys. Number one, their incentives are not aligned with you already. They're not, they're just not aligned. And if they're not aligned now, they won't be aligned later. And that's what we're seeing a lot with these, these blowups is like maybe some of them started genuinely to do something good. 
But again, once you have that power, once that that a possibility is there, alliance incentives can go whack out of whack immediately. And so you can really look around is that from just from a basic business level, you don't even need to see their balance sheets. You can just see how their business is taking in money, what the relationship is to their customer. And you know, 90%, you're gonna be able to tell who's a bad actor and who's a good actor. And this is why you know it's so hard to be in the Bitcoin space, because as you said with your users, and it's true of building for Bitcoiners now, is that they are some of the most critical, don't trust, verify, uh, I'm not going to leave any stone unturned. I'm going to run the numbers group. You can't get away with anything. And that is no. one of the best gifts to have as a content producer like yourselves or as a builder, because that is what is going to make you sharper and sharper and sharper and build a product that, number one, you can't build something that where the uh, incentives aren't aligned because you're going to get hit by it. You're going to get you're going to get the backlash from it. But also, if you do stay true and you do stay principled, you get to ride the natural adoption cycle and adoption wave that is Bitcoin itself. Bitcoin's network effects is my marketing team. We don't have we don't spend money on marketing. Bitcoin is our marketing force. And as long yes. as we stay true to that, we don't really have to do much except stay alive. Dude, you're speaking our language in our little microcosm here of this podcast, which has been a blast and has gone I guess our the way it's progressed for us is different than we expected. And at the end of the day, it's all because of Bitcoin. We're just a couple firefighter clowns having discussions every week about this. But there's enough people around the globe. I mean, our listenership is is not massive, but we're we're dispersed all over the world now. There's enough people intellectually hungry to to listen to Bitcoin to waste an hour of their week with the two of us. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with us. That has everything to do with the subject recovering and the people that are building on it. I couldn't agree more. We're just riding a wave here. You mentioned uh, at the top of this that you guys were doing better than ever. Like you were gaining more customers. You guys have more money being spent, more Bitcoin being given away to customers. So it's interesting to hear that. Can you go on a little bit about how in this how you guys are performing throughout this bear market? Because I'm kind of curious how that coincides with like our download numbers. Because we've been surprised that we haven't gone off a cliff, to be honest. Right. Because Bitcoin's been shit in the bed. Usually people lose interest and walk away for you know, the next year and a half. How, how, yeah, the, how have things been going for you? You know what, you know, building on Bitcoin, like we said, ride that wave, continue to survive and it'll go. But you know, when you have a bull and a bear cycle, like they're very different. They have, they, things are different in those different cycles. You have to have a different business and approach to the market during those cycles. You have to recognize when you're in one versus the other. In bull cycles, you need to be everything you should do in a bear cycle is to prepare for the next bull cycle. You need to do everything you can to make your product as um, as usable, as open, as available as possible, because you're just a funnel that needs to be as big. And if you're not big enough, they're falling out, going elsewhere. And so yep. you just need to position yourself as best as possible. That's why Coinbase became Coinbase. Coinbase did not become Coinbase because it was necessarily, you know, anything but. They were the most well-positioned and well-designed exchange at the right time. The, the flow of users into this space was coming anyway. And they were going to go be pointed at one of these places chosen. And, you know, for whatever reason, that would, that ended up being Coinbase. And, you know, that was back when, you know, all the casino, they were all casinos. Coinbase started with Bitcoin at one point. That's what they started with. Yeah. Um, I mean, we remember the days where they were 
really, I mean, I, who was on there when we first started, like we remember when XRP got added and it was yeah. a huge deal. It was like <laughs> when we, when we got around to this space, it was like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and I, and Litecoin. And I think that was it. I think, I think you're right. Three I think coins when we came been to the, the dance. And then Bcash, and now, that yeah, whole thing. changed so much. Everything in the late 2017 was like a Cambrian explosion of dog shit just yeah. all over the place. You're, you're, so you have, your, you have your bull cycle. You need to do everything you can to prepare for that. And that your user numbers are going to be skyrocketing. You don't even have to do anything. And these numbers are just pumping every day. You're hitting records in terms of new users into the, into the platform. Then you hit a bear cycle and 100% you get a drop off because you're not getting people at every single dinner table. Every single conversation is, is not about this and is not about, oh shit, you, you're not getting rich. Uh, I am, you know, you need to get download this or whatever. Um, and that stops off. But what happens is the people that have been on your platform and have built it, the they they deepen their engagement with the platform and so fold spends our new user numbers are not as high as they were in during the last full cycle on the the new user growth but the actual engagement on the platform is higher than ever before we have more spend coming through the platform more engagement more more time more people using us as their top of wallet more referrals coming through and you see it's because as, as people realize this, and that's, I think, a lot of the thing of when you're doing something right is that we're getting a lot of new people. You have a new person coming to your podcast. Like the best possible thing, outcome you guys could have with someone first, first time hearing you guys is saying, I can't wait to listen to the next one. I learned something. I can't wait to listen to the next one what these guys have to say or who's on the podcast. That's for us is I, I just learned the value of Bitcoin. Like I just was, you know, I, I was um, doing my normal purchasing and my Bitcoin is now worth more than inflation actually happened. And now like, you know, my, some of my purchases have been paid for, like, what is up with this money? Why is this money working differently than my, my fiat money that gets you starting to ask questions and that rat going down that rabbit hole ultimately just leads you to adopting our product more, others more, listening to more podcasts and more content. And we're getting more hardened users that are, uh, just now part of this ecosystem and ready to go deeper with you. And so again, it's just knowing which one, and that's why I say bear cycles are for building. And that's, you know, that's right now, it's what you're seeing full do. So a topic I want to spend some time with you, Will, on is just the payments industry in general, credit cards, intermediaries in the payment space, because you live in that area a lot. My first question what does Visa say about the behavior of your cardholders? Like what makes a fold cardholder unique in their mind? Have you gotten calls or emails or had conversations through the years where they're like, what is going on with, because I'm assuming that the motivation and the impetus behind using this card of yours is very different than they're used to with Southwest credit card miles. Talk to us about the uniqueness of cardholder behavior, if there is any. Yeah, I mean, most people have four, five, six cards in their in their pocket. Um, and uh, when we look at the the market, they they spread their spend across various ones. Um, they will try to game the system of the rewards. Uh, you know, get the get the um, you know you know uh, welcome bonus from one. Use it. You know, spend to the threshold. Never use it again. Drop it. Um, and what they saw with Fold number one at launch was the one of the fastest growing debit card programs ever launched, number one. And that was, holy shit, 
And they didn't, none, most people didn't believe it. And they didn't really understand what the opportunity was. I said, no, no, you don't understand. If we give people Bitcoin for just doing their spending, they will switch whatever card they're currently using to this card. As long as we don't screw this up, they will do that. And what they saw, one of the fastest growing and adopted cards ever that they have seen come out. And this is at the same time, you know, we launched not too far around, you know, Coinbase's card. We were actually the first Bitcoin rewards card out there. The second was, holy shit, people are not only buying coffees with this, but they're spending every single dollar that they have. And not only that, they're putting, you know, uh, business expenses through it. And we had insane things like um, we had this one time we had a, a, a visa needed to take a call. We're like, they're like, hey, we, we think something weird is going on with your program. You know, we see these like $10,000 dinners happening uh, on fold. And we think this is, you know, this is not right. And I'm like, well. You don't know Bitcoiners. We're in a bull market and uh, <laughs> we have OG whales who've been using Fold forever who do that kind of craziness. And they're like, no, no, but you you offer a debit card. No, wealthy people do not use debit cards. And I'm like, you're right. They don't. This is the first time they've ever seen that happen. And so you, we, they have seen from just the growth of the platform to the actual behavior of, and usage of it being kind of breadth of the spend to... People who never used, uh, who are always on credit to now moving over to debit, spending within their means that they have or loading that, they, they've it just kind of had them rethink. And a lot of it is they're being introduced to Bitcoin culture and how their financial practices are different than uh, mm. you know, people who are not necessarily uh, far along with you know, understanding high time versus low time preference and uh, just generally Bitcoin culture overall. And so um, it was certainly something that you know, we got. And you know, that's not even to mention you know, we have incentives on full. Like we, we said, let's make Bitcoin fun. Let's throw a wheel on that. Let's, let, let's do all this. And that also led to a whole bunch of different things. You had construction workers who would sit in front of the taco truck and pay for everybody's meal. And then everyone would Venmo him uh, cash because he wanted to just spin for this Sly. thing every single time. You know, you had, you had just absolutely crazy things that they were looking at this guy. Like, We've never seen a prepaid debit card have this type of user base, this type of behavior. And I said, yeah, these are Bitcoiners. Hey, so while we're on the topic of payments, you guys have kind of a workaround or an ingenious method for people to pay their mortgage payment using the Fold card. So I... I was in the app. I was looking around at something and there was like a, I haven't done it yet, but I've been planning to. Can you walk us through how you can pay your mortgage with a fold card and get paid potentially 5% back in Bitcoin? Yeah, this is uh, I'd say this is the, this is the fold. I think this is the stack hack of the absolute year. I and mean, just to see the amount of Bitcoin that people have stacked on their biggest expenses. And you got to want you know, again, it. what you, you, you definitely got to want it. But at the end of the day, you know, what are we, we're at now like people are beholden to terrible money we have record inflation happening we have uh, a bunch of just absolutely shenanigans that they're being pushed into for investing from you know wall street bets you know gme stocks to shit coins that are being promoted and at the end of the day if we can provide something that on your largest expense you get to stack the hardest money that takes not only away the inflation away but actually lowers your mortgage payments every week and people do it on their mortgage they do it on their rent they do everything and essentially there's two main ways that they do this number one uh most people actually don't know that their mortgage providers and credit card providers actually can take debit card payments to pay that debt off or to make those payments so you can actually call them 
and request to do this via debit card. But there's an even easier way that if you just have a PayPal account, you can use their bill pay and add fold as your payment method. You look up who your mortgage provider is. You look up who your um, you know, credit card is or your bill pays, any bills, and they will accept the full debit card. And that means you're going to be able to stack. Uh, it will put your stacking abilities on absolute Overdrive. You know, burners. This it is, it, is, yeah. it is wild. I currently did it. And a lot of this came from... You know, we stay close to our users. We have a Discord of you know thousands and thousands of users who are constantly on learning how to stack more sets with Fold, without Fold, everywhere. This is about if you want to learn how to stack sets on your entire life and do this, Fold Discord is where to go. And this this hack came from a user in there who said, "Hey guys, this is what I figured out." We we saw people doing that, and then we you know put out a thing saying, "Here's a hack out there," and now it's absolutely blown up. And people are earning one, two, three, four percent back on their mortgage, which is incredible. That's to awesome. See. It's epic. Yeah. Let's talk lightning for a second. Uh, how is or how do you envision Fold in the future being integrated with Lightning? What are your thoughts on the Lightning Network at this stage? Let's go back to we we stopped the story of where Fold kind of sh- we kind of shut down for a while and we we kicked it up again with rewards. But we also in that time said, hey, there's another opportunity. Bitcoin as a means of payment, as a medium of exchange, is uh, there's a totally different thing happening now. There's this thing called the Lightning Network that was, you know, very, very early days. That, you know, when when the old product that you'd use, you'd send an on-chain payment to fold, you'd wait 10 minutes for it to confirm. We would then send you a gift card, you would sacrifice, you wouldn't get any cashback rewards from it. Um, you would sometimes even get hit with a fee for the, you know, the the uh, the on-chain uh, transaction fee, and it just really wasn't working in that context. But then we saw Lightning. We saw, you know, this potentially can change the entire thing. It can make it instant. It can actually remove the entire fee structure in between. And if we can do that, merchants now would free up. It, free, it would free up merchants to then give rewards directly to users, um, and it makes Bitcoin infinitely usable in a big way and so we were very early on and we decided to create hey let's let's try we had a um we had a goal uh let's bring down the lightning network let's just try to do it this is early early days so we launched a thing called lightning pizza one of our uh, lead developers he realized um that we had this relationship into um to be able to submit orders into Domino's directly into the Domino's ordering uh ui and so we said, hey, let's put up a uh, lightning um, uh, wallet and a lightning payment processing system and then submit orders directly into uh, Domino's via a Domino's gift card. And now anybody in the U.S. can buy Bitcoin over, or buy a Domino's pizza over the lightning network and have it delivered to them. We launched this thing. And the way we launched it is we airdropped Domino's pizzas under the name of Satoshi Nakamoto all over the country. And so people were going <laughs> to awesome. Domino's and picking up I am Satoshi and it was amazing. But what we found was we didn't, number one, we didn't bring down the Lightning Network, but we brought down all the wallets at the time. And at the time it was like Blue Wallet was really the only one out there. Um, and the wallets just completely just like broke down. Liquidity issues, you know, channel issues, connection, all of that. It was like, okay, we have a lot to go and do on the infrastructure side. And so we then brought it into full. And we just said, hey, this is a way better experience, even with all the problems, a way better experience of using Bitcoin than an on-chain experience for any kind of retail setting. So 
We actually shut down our on-chain payments. We said, we're not going to accept those anymore. We went 100% lightning. So right now you can go into Fold. You can buy you know, gift cards via your lightning wallet and do that today. And you'll earn rewards back. And the problem was at those days is like to do anything with lightning, you had to not only be the infrastructure, you had to actually provide the customer um, you know, experience and you had to make sure that everything was being safe, song uptime, no one was running off with funds and all of that. And it was really not a simple thing. Like to run lightning infrastructure means you have a developer who has the key to all your Bitcoin. You know, it, it changes the calculus of you don't have a CFO and a CTO now. That's the same person. You've got to trust and have a ton of security around making sure that's right. You also need to be the infrastructure provider and the end service provider to customers. Mm. So that was always a thing that we learned is like, hey, at the end of the day, what is Fold? Are we going to be the one introducing Bitcoin and Lightning uh, to as many people as possible? Or are we going to go and build on the infrastructure level and, and do that? Because those both those jobs were huge. You know, today, if you want to do a payment service, like you're not going to build a payment processor and then, you know, provide an end user app. You, you use a payment processor, provide the app, or you build a payment processor and get apps to build on you. And in the early days, you just had to do so much. And for a startup, you have to really be really serious about where you're putting your your time and effort. You know, we were five people or so at that time. And so uh, we ultimately said, hey, we're going to stay on the consumer side. Um, but what we need to do is continue to stay true to what we said initially is get as many people accumulating and exposed to Bitcoin as possible as job number one. And now that we've done that, you know, we have over half a million people who have earned on our platform with us or growing every single day. And now these users are coming to us who were only credit card users are now saying, hey, when's the lightning integration? Hey, how do I set up a lightning wallet? Hey, how do I sell up, you know, set up self-custody? And just now, I'd say just in this last year, I can look back and say to my team, we don't need to go build that ourselves. We actually now have a really mature and incredible landscape of other service providers that are out yeah. there that Fold can count on that to be number one, actually work to be safe and to provide a good user experience for our users for mil you know half a million people who want to use this. Mm. Now that infrastructure is there, which it can't be underestimated how important that is to have a maturing infrastructure layer and consumer interest and demand at that level because once you have both of those together that's when hyper growth really starts to happen and that was only true in the last you know i would say really in the last six to eight months that was really that's when the things really started to change and so for fold you know we decided to say hey we're going to we're going to continue with our accumulation uh, hypothesis and now that we have the infrastructure there we get to have a wonderful our 2023 roadmap really gets to look very interesting. And that means Lightning gets to come inside the commingling of Bitcoin services with, with traditional payment services now get to blend in ways they never have before. And that's only possible because now Fold gets to partner and uh, with companies that have built incredible tools at the infrastructure layer. That just wasn't even an option before. I, man, I agree with you, Will. I think there's a lot of people that are sleeping on how exponential the growth on the Lightning Network is going to be yeah. once we've kind of crossed the Rubicon of liquidity and infrastructure build out. Because when you think about, back to incentives, just you think about just merchants having access to instantaneous, permissionless, globally interoperable 
settlement, even just with each other, let alone users, how are you going to stop this? Honestly, I mean, it's it has the potential to be a massive deal, and I think a lot of Why us would have you been kind of like it? lulled. You know, there's like yeah. there's no yeah. incentive there to want to stop it unless you are, yeah. you know, somebody sitting at the Fed maybe or feeling like you're yeah. getting a little bit too much heat from these uh, these nerds. And the the incentives are not the it, it's not just one thing. Like we all, we always like to say, okay, you know, lightning. What that does is it is it removes the inter- intermediary for um, you know on payment networks, so it 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 brings down the the cost uh, for merchants to accept payments. That is very true. It also reduces fraud in almost ninety five percent of cases. And so the the in the fintech world, the thing that is true. If you saw it, the, the, the companies that solve for fraud are the companies that win because it doesn't matter how good your product is, the, the sophistication of, of the current fraud environment is so good and there is so much money in it and so much opportunity that if you do not solve that, you get completely wiped off, your margins get completely eaten away, you're done. But if you can solve for that, you can build on a much stronger surface. So what you start to see are payment financial companies where fraud departments alone and the amount of money spent on fraud is it sometimes eats up to 40 50% of your margins already and that's not even wow. that's not that's that's just keeping you safe that's not even saying you're going to get hit with losses also and so you're number one compressing the margin that that uh, retailers you know get to route around traditional payment networks you're protecting against fraud you're also creating inherent global markets from day one. So mm, now we're, yes. we're looking at, and as our, our society is changing, right? So you look at, you know, younger generation, they are growing up in ways that their social networks are inherently global and cross-border. Like that's, they're playing games with people who live in wherever the hell they do. Social networks are not just small town. These are the people right around me. Social networks are way broad. What that means is you need to have payment networks that are also able to facilitate those relationships as those people grow into financial maturity. So you, it's it's hard to imagine, like you said, number one, it's too good for too many people. And it's only bad for very specific types of people that only have really blunt force instruments to try to stop it. And so we're going to see that we're going to see the regulation, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, the classification of Bitcoin as, you know, purely as purely as an asset or, you know, the funds transfer travel rules, things like this, things will try to slow it down, but the incentives are so strong and so aligned with the cultural drift of where we are that solve problems for companies, for merchants, for end users are too significant at this point to stop. And all we're waiting on is the infrastructure to mature and things like it can't be underestimated. Things like cash app uh, point of sale systems, turning on millions of merchants being have access to accept Bitcoin payments with zero um, uh, uh, downside to doing so. It's 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 yeah. it's just incredible what the op- opportunity is. Every time, I mean, the Trojan horse meme has been beaten to death, but it really, really is what's going on here. You know, you think about all these terminals that Cash App has done with Square. Mm-hmm. These are just Trojan horses being trotted straight out yep. to the town square. And it's happening, man. It's crazy. And then the interoperability, which we've talked about already, it's just, there are so many layers to this. It's so hard to truly understand until you've kind of studied this thing for years. And honestly, I don't think I can say I a hundred percent do ever because there's so much more to learn. There's always a new thing. That's um, why you got to start a podcast just to think about yeah. it all the time. Cause it keeps I just going. remember, 
Dan's got the block clock behind him. When I plugged mine in last year, the liquidity on the Lightning Network was 3,600 Bitcoins, if I remember right. Somewhere around that. I just looked at it today. It's 5,100. And then yeah. that's a massive amount of liquidity added to that market, that marketplace for trading Bitcoin around in a year. It's uh, it's just an exponential thing, man. It's going. And where the conviction grows is when you recognize there's no competition. I'm going to recite the words I read a second ago that I jotted down where you were talking. What else is going to compete on instantaneous, permissionless, global settlement? Right. I mean, there's just there's this is where my bullishness gets out of control sometimes on Bitcoin and the layers being built above it. Is there's absolutely <laughs> nothing competing in this space. Once something else starts competing, I'll start paying attention. But this thing is as lone of a wolf as it can possibly be. Yep. And then when you see how well the puzzle piece yeah. fits with the needs of the 21st century and then global economy, you it's watch like, what Ethereum's doing and think like it might have been a competitor if they didn't do so much stupid shit and divert down so many empty dark alleys that are complete dead ends. Yeah, this got no competition, man. Well, I'm going to close with the question you probably don't prefer, which we rarely ask too, but I feel like maybe it's the 312 compelling me to ask it. Where do you think we are right now? Like if you're to size up where we're at in the Bitcoin cycle, we're at, I don't know, we're not on that metric for the block lock. I think we're around 16,000 November of 2022. If you had to play out the next three years, what's your kind of projection on where we're at? I think uh, we're going to still see some fallout. It's, there's no doubt what just happened here is, you know, all it, it gets to throw off all the veils of, you know, institutions are coming or all this stuff. Yeah. Like we don't need to rely, like at the end of the day, what this does is pull down to the basics, what we're here for first principles. We get to wipe away all the, the, the memes, the hype memes, just the bull memes that go away. And just like, at the end of the day, what are we talking about? Like you just, you know, read back of like, Think about what we're talking about here. Cash final, decentralized, peer-to-peer, global. Like nothing exists in this world like this. And not only that, all of its competitors are debasing themselves at the most tremendous rate right now. Whether you talk about just shitcoin world or fiat world, both of them are increasingly showing that they are not competitors on almost any one of these things. And all they can do is that they have some blunt force instruments. Shitcoin world has immense marketing power and dollars behind that, that has wreaked tons of damage, not only on Bitcoin as um, understand it in the, you know, in, in the world, but also with pushing people down a bad path. And then fiat culture, they do have the power of regulations and who knows what the hell the diff- the, the back and forth between fed fighting inflation, all that's going to actually be by the end of the day, the bull case remains of what what Bitcoin is. And so I'd say at this point, um, we're going to be still knocking around. Um, you know, we get we get we're going to be knocking around these lows. We might even hit a little bit lower, I think, um, over the next few weeks and months. Uh, but where we're at right now, we've flushed out almost all of our main competition from just this space overall. I'm going to take the Lynn Alden approach of even if Bitcoin just this space achieves where we were not only 10 months ago, but Bitcoin has retaken its crown as the centerpiece of this and the central focus of all our brothers and sisters in the shitcoin world. And we actually come back to this yeah. space. We will achieve all-time highs even just from that. The amount, it's, It shouldn't be underestimated how much time and financial 
um, value was just being dispersed into these to this other world. And if we're able to actually bring it back and actually corral that within Bitcoin and start building the circular economy that we we're talking about, we're going to grow a much, much faster than ever. And this clown world that we're talking about is not ending where it's actually accelerating. And we like to talk about clown world and shitcoin world, but just in general where we're at, uh, Bitcoin is only going to be a more powerful tool that is uh, realized by more and more people for various reasons, whether you're living in Argentina right now and experiencing absolutely tremendous hyperinflation, or you are just trying to build a savings account for your family in the United States in a way that just has never worked for you. Bitcoin is going to reveal itself and its superpowers more and more to more people. And I have, that is one thing that I know is going to, is going to continue. And so where the hell we're going in a year, three years, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, I think the most important thing is uh, staying alive and uh, both as an individual and, and with your family, but also the businesses that you run. And you're going to be, we're all going to end up in a good spot. Like it's going to be, it's going to be all right. So I, I hate price predictions. You know, I'm, we're going to 100K easy. We're, we're, we're retaking all-time highs, no doubt. But there's so much more in between and that we're going to have to get through that to me, that's where I focus primarily. Yeah. We respect that answer because I would, I would take the same side myself. Like you just can't put a number on this. It seems likely it'll do the same thing it's done the last 12, 13 years, but the fed tightening have, things can really having, throw a wrench into this. We have a having in a year and a half, you know? Yeah. Uh, we have just, uh, seen that people were selling paper Bitcoin in absolute tremendous, you know, volumes. Yeah. Uh, well, we you can buy out. You can buy rep Bitcoin for like $3,000 of Bitcoin right now. If you guys are interested. <laughs> Great I mean, deal. You can buy yeah. some GBTC also a 45% <laughs> discount. Like all of these things that we're just taking our, our attention away and taking real financial capital away from being accumulated within, within Bitcoin that cannot be underestimated. And then you add the having coming up as well during this, like we're gonna, this is, this is the time to pile in. This is like when I tell, you know, my brother and my friends and I'm always, I, I always am, am, am pretty, um, you know, level-headed with them because I, I know that some, you have to be you you have to be ready to get in this space. I, I've learned enough that you don't you don't head-on convince people. That's not something you do. Hundred percent. You 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 you're not. This is not a thing that you also just for your own family and friends is to say mortgage the house, YOLO <laughs> into the whole thing. Like that's just not how we win. The Bitcoiners don't want adoption to have happen that way. And so the one thing I do know is that in times like these, this is the time when stacks are made. Like this is every single cycle. This is what, you know, anyone, when you look at people and you're like, oh my God, that's a whale or how did, you know, they have way more Bitcoin. This is the moment where those people stacked diligently and responsibly. And that's what put them in that position to come. This is exactly the type of moment when it just seems absolutely hopeless. And at the same time, when nothing has changed, for the bull case for Bitcoin, it still remains intact. And so this mm. is the time to keep your head down, mine your fiat job, you know, use good Bitcoin companies and services that are aligned with your uh, interests. And again, just, just stay alive. And this is, this is, you're going to be surprised. And this is like, this is where that thing of like feeling like you're in Groundhog Day. My brother asked like, should I go? And I'm like, this is, this is the moment where you're going to surprise yourself and look back of saying, holy shit, I'm so glad that I made this opportunity now. And I, you know, I took the, took some confidence and, and went in.
Amen. You've said so many good little quips throughout this podcast. I have no idea which one we're going to pick for the beginning, but thanks for giving us a variety. Hand off to yourself and fold as we close here. Thank you. We we, uh, appreciate you all. Again, uh, Bitcoin grows because we keep building, we keep talking, we get smarter and better, and uh, just the signal continues to spread. So... Uh, love, love the show, and uh, let's uh, let's just keep our heads down the bear market and keep kicking ass. Will do. Hey, thanks, Will. Appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to like or subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts or on YouTube. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We are also active on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. And our email address is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We invite questions, comments, or inquiries of any kind. We look forward to you joining us again on the BCB Podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah.